Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. It may sound weird coming from a butcher, but it would be okay if you ate less meat, as long as when you did, it was a higher quality product. I'm Dalia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Today, we're checking in with Tampa's Prince of Pork, Andrew Tambuzo. It's one thing to know how the sausage gets made. It's another thing to buy the pigs that become the sausage. But that's just what Andrew Tambuzo recently did. Andrew is the founder and owner of the Boozy Pig Butchery and Kitchen in Tampa, which has locations in South Tampa and Davis Islands. If his name sounds familiar, Andrew was a guest back in 2019 when he gave us a tour of Boozy Pig. In addition to selling pork products to the public, Boozy supplies meat to dozens of restaurants, hotels, and other wholesale clients. To ensure the quality of that meat, Andrew recently purchased around 50 pigs of his own. They live on a farm in Pasco County. Now, buying livestock for your restaurant may sound extreme, but Andrew comes from a foodie family. His late grandfather, Giuseppe Tambuzo, owned Tip Top Grocery Store in Ybor City, and his cousin, John Barbie, was featured on The Zest earlier this year for his Tip Top Canning Company. I recently met up with Andrew at the Boozy Pig's South Tampa location as lunch hour was winding down. We actually sat at a table that moments earlier had been occupied by former Tampa Mayor Bob Buckhorn. In this conversation, Andrew explains why buying the pigs was important to him, how pork products are made, buckle up for that one, and how to make more flavorful meals from less expensive cuts of meat. So growing up, I was fortunate enough to get to hang out with my grandparents and a lot of those summer breaks and a lot of those winter breaks included hanging out with him and going with him to his, they still owned the grocery store, but he was like semi-retired, but he would still go in, you know, half dozen times out of the year just to make sausage to pass out to all of his friends and uh, people that were buying it from him, men that he played cards or dominoes with. And so he would take me around and I just got to learn from him and some of the old, other old men just how to make sausage. And that eventually became a family tradition where for all the big holidays throughout the year, Father's Day, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we were absolutely making sausage, getting together as a family and making sausage. And my grandfather decided one day he was done. He wanted to hang it up. And so my father had the idea to build out a little room in our garage and move all of his equipment there and just to kind of have some space to keep that tradition going. And so that was really my first space where I could go and play and test recipes, but also keep the tradition going as well. And that's what it was for the first three or four years, was just making that same recipe, maybe a few variations of it, and selling to a lot of the same families that used to buy from him. And we actually started with the same you know, contact list that he had, just his handwriting, some names and numbers, that we would just started calling, hey, listen, we're making sausage again. Let us know if you want to get on the list. And little by little, we were able to expand the product line. We were able to really tap back into the market 
of old Tampa that people that were looking for that type of product and we were selling it out of the house on top of that so yeah I was uh, very fortunate to have that upbringing on both my both sides of my family my mom and my father's side traditionally it was always grocery stores meat markets cooking and so yeah very fortunate wow so you grew up learning literally how the sausage is made yes what, absolutely. here in tampa in tampa anymore city and then in at my grandfather's house in seminole heights what was the name of the store tip top grocery it was on fifth avenue and 18th street the original building was on 13th and 26th but when i4 got built they were forced to move and so they moved it to Fifth Avenue and 18th Street. What was your grandfather doing making sausage? My grandfather doesn't know how to make sausage. <laughs> so after World War II, they came back home, and my grandfather's family, his uncles, they all had grocery stores already. And so him and his part, my grandfather and his partner decided, let's open up our own store. We'll be able to serve this sector of the community. And so my great uncle, great great uncle gave him, passed down that recipe to my grandfather, and it's the same recipe we still make today. Oh, that's amazing. Speaking of your family and the Tip Top grocery store, we recently interviewed your cousin, John Barbie, of Tip Top Canning. Yes. And he was teaching me all about canning and pickling. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Do you have another cousin that, like, makes the bread, and then you guys can just join forces (laughs) and you have a whole sandwich? Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. (laughs) What was your grandfather's name, by the way? Joe Tambuzo. Joe Tambuzo. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Tambuzo. Oh, I like that. That's nice in Italian. Is he still around? He is not, unfortunately. Okay, but you're carrying on the tradition. We're trying. And you're moving it forward. Yeah, in the last few years, we've been really been able to, to really expand and get our, our name and our brand around Tampa. We've been able to pick up wholesale clients where they're featuring our proteins on their menus, close to 20 different wholesale accounts now. We also have a second location on Davis Island that recently opened a few months back. That's going pretty well. We also have some vending machines, meat vending machines that are around town. Okay, let's talk about that because I saw one right in front of this location, which is what, the South Tampa location? Yes. Who buys meat from a vending machine? Uh, You know, that was a good question, but I had the original idea to do this. Definitely not an original idea for the meat vending machine, but at least to bring it to our, our, our city, our community during COVID. There was a lot of people that couldn't get proteins or we just couldn't facilitate it fast enough, lines were crazy, a lot of people worried about contact and and being around other people. So I said, let's try the vending machine out. And it actually did really well in the the beginning. It's actually one outside. I do have two other ones around town. There's one inside the Davis Island location, and there's also one that we just put in the duckweed downtown. What's duckweed? That's the grocery store, right? It is. Duckweed is an urban market. (laughs) I think they started out in downtown Tampa, and they've been able to expand all around Tampa. Oh, my God. Uh, There's one on Davis Island. There's one in West Shore. I believe there's one in Wesley Chapel. Maybe another one someplace else, St. Pete or something. So, like, what's something someone might buy from a meat vending machine? So, you can absolutely find um, our Italian sausage, our family recipe. Uh, You can find four different types of sausages in there. You can find two or three different flavors of burgers. You can find beef jerky, you can find snack sticks, you can find smoked sausages on occasion. That's really it. There's quite a few flavors of snack sticks and jerky that takes up a lot of room and then the rest would be the raw proteins. Okay, I have seen cupcake vending machines and champagne, so I guess it's not that nice. weird. You could just go around town and make a whole meal out of all the different things. Right. We gotta talk about the pigs. Sure. You bought some pigs? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We recently were able to purchase what was left of a herd of pigs. 
from my former pig farmer. We have since taken over the herd and moved them to our own location. And we're the ones caring for them, feeding them, watering them, doing all the things that need to be done. What do you mean what was left of a herd of pigs? So, long story, she, my former farmer decided to get out of the business. And before she could, I guess, sell off all of her pigs to whoever else, I wanted to make sure I could uh, maintain the quality and consistency of pork that we've established ourselves with, that we've built a brand and a reputation with. I also wanted to ensure the future of my pork supply and to ensure the high quality pork that we were bringing in was the same we were going to continue to bring in. So I, I did a lot of soul searching that during that time and I figured, you know, why not? This Everything about it seemed right. Everything about it felt good. The interactions with the pigs is like no other. It's a really great feeling. It's really satisfying to see them happy and being able to do what it is that they do in the wild, in, in nature, and not not have to worry about the pigs I'm bringing in, the pork I'm bringing in, am I going to have enough? Is it going to be the same quality as the last one I brought in? Not really a whole lot of farmers that are set up to keep up with our demand, um, our usage. So I just felt that it was the right thing to do for us to try to secure that. So what is your demand and what makes quality pork? Is it what they're fed? Is it that they're out roaming around in the prairie? A little bit of both. So yeah, having access to a natural forage, natural diet, having the room to to roam and graze as they will. They do, I mean, a lot of it comes back to their diet, which they are given a very specific diet. We get it from a, a local feed mill in Dade City. And then on top of that, they're given all types of vegetable scraps at least the ones that are that are good for them that either come from the restaurant or my home or different friends and family that you know save me their scraps so it's like natural composting pretty much yeah just giving it giving it all back to them and yeah also the breed has a lot to do with the flavor okay so quality quality ingredients make quality pork yeah absolutely it's uh it's a night and day difference in the product from what you what is accessible at the grocery stores from what's accessible at pretty much any other restaurant in town. Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. to, by the way. You said wholesalers, but who are they? So we sell to quite a few restaurants around town, a few hotels. Um, nobody is buying the, the pork like that. We have, we barely have enough just to supply ourselves at the moment. Uh, but in the future, maybe that could be something that could we could offer on that scale. But right now we're, we're selling mainly sausages, some charcuterie that we make in-house, some ham, some different salamis, some bacon, a lot of bacon. And that's going to the Epicurean, it's going to the Renaissance, it's going to Okinola, it's going to a few other restaurants at uh, Armature Works. 
the Cafe Clementine in St. Pete, Madison Avenue Pizza in Dunedin. Um, we're getting ready. To, we have two different uh, samplings next week with two prospective clients that we hope to work with as well. Basagunda Bakery was a customer for a long time. All the big names in Tampa Bay. Some good ones, yeah. Yeah, for Pete's, sure. Pete's Bagels in Tampa and St. Pete, they've been a great customer. They're, out, they're newer, but they've been a great customer. Yeah, yeah, really fortunate to have that much wholesale going That's on. That's great. Okay, how many pigs did you buy, and where are they? Because we're in the city. I don't see any pigs. I parked in the back, didn't no, see a single they're pig. They're not here. No, they're <laughs> not here. We have them on a property up in Pasco, and it's going to be probably a temporary location until we can find something more permanent that suits us long term so that's where they're at originally we purchased 53 and we're still hovering in that 50 to 60 range we have been taking a few to the shop bringing a few into the shop and then also we had a litter late july of Okay, so, so the next generation. The next generation. All right. right, so when you say bring a few into the shop, that's a nice way of saying they are now a, a sausage sandwich somewhere. Or pork chops or uh, pork shoulder or ham. For our, our ham that goes on all of our sandwiches, that's coming strictly off the pigs that we bring in. That's almost a three-week process from start to finish, from butchering to a finished ham product. And let's, let's just go there. Talk me through it. Sure. So we bring in uh, we bring in the sides of pork, and they get cut down into different subprimals, which would be talking about the shoulder or the loin or the belly or the ham, in this case the ham. And from there, I, I taught my butchers how to seam butcher all the muscles whole off the bone. And seam butchering refers to following the seams in between each muscle so that you can extract the muscle in its entirety, leaving very little waste still on the bone. So we're able to do that. We brine them, we smoke and cure them, and then we're able to slice them for our wholesale clients. We're able to slice them for all of our sandwiches. Our El Mixto that Jeff so graciously wrote about in his, his book. Yeah, let's give it a shout out. We had him on the podcast to talk about the book, The Cuban Sandwich. The Cuban Sandwich book. History and Layers, That's I it. think. Yep, Jeff Hauk. Andrew Hughes and Anna Cruz. Cruz. Good book. Great book, yes. Yeah. So has having your own pigs changed the way you think about this whole process? A little bit. I knew that I always wanted to bring in a higher quality pork. And I guess over the years, I've been able to refine what that means. Because you can buy high quality at almost anywhere. But being able to trace it back to its original source... And knowing that the lifestyle it lived, the specific diet it was fed, all of those things mean a lot to me and what to who we're dealing with, who we're buying from, or who we're selling to, or in all, all aspects. But I just wanted to truly bring a little bit more transparency to the local food system, to what we're offering. I wanted to be able to showcase all the local agriculture that our state has. Because, like you mentioned, we are in the city, and Tampa's growing like crazy. You wouldn't really expect to see so much agriculture as there is around here, around West Central Florida, if not Central Florida as a whole. There's a great podcast called Between the Beaches. Ooh, Between the Beaches. And it's basically all about agriculture in the middle of the state, because that's where it's all at. We need to listen to I need to have them on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great podcast. Uh, a lot of great stories. Uh, a lot of great information there. A lot of old Florida history. Oh, I love that. That's right up our alley. Uh, 
Do you have a suggestion for someone who comes in and maybe they don't have a ton of money to spend, but you have all these different products and cuts. Is there sure. an affordable way that someone could use maybe a, a less expensive cut and really get at that wow factor? Absolutely, yeah. I learned this a long time ago in, in, in learning more about higher quality proteins that it may sound weird coming from a butcher, but it would be okay if you ate less meat as long as when you did, it was a higher quality product, right? That doesn't mean that you have to break the bank every time you come in. That being said, you know, we do bring in whole animal. We do have access to the entire carcass in a whole. You don't have to buy a filet or a ribeye every single time. There's many other economical cuts that we can show you, we can talk to you about. I can recommend cooking methods, recipes, techniques that you could try. You don't have to break the bank when you come in. A lot of times that's the notion, oh, I can't afford such, well, let me show you something else that it may not be exactly a filet or a ribeye, but it could still be a really great steak on the grill or the cast iron. Or if you're looking for a certain cut to braise for a certain dish, but we don't have it because there's only one or two on an animal, let me show you some other cuts that might work that you may have never heard of, but you may end up liking better, still get you to that same end result. So a lot of this relies on us being there to educate the consumer, and this really wouldn't work without that factor. Education is a huge thing for us across the board. Where the cuts come from, the amount of amount of work those muscles do while the animal's alive, definitely translates to how you would cook them and how much time they need to be cooked. So the more an animal works out a certain muscle, the tougher it's going to be. So you want the one that just sits around watching Netflix? No. Not, you don't? No, not even. Because some of those cuts, most of or all of those cuts that do more work, they get more blood flow. So they're going to yield a much more porky or beefy flavor, depending on the animal, with them. So you take a cut like beef shank, for example, or brisket or short ribs. They're on the bottom of the animal. They're responsible for a lot of movement while it's alive. Those cuts have to be cooked a lot longer than, let's say, a ribeye or a filet. You have muscles of support and muscles of... Muscles that just freeload? <laughs> well, yeah, muscles of support and then you have muscles of movement. Okay. So the, the muscles of movement definitely are the muscles I just mentioned. They require a little bit longer cook time, and usually they'll just fall apart or be very tender. So what's a recipe you could make with one of those? So one that I always recommend is to braise a chuck roast. You know, you can, the braising, it's my favorite way of doing it, or even the short ribs can be done the same way, where essentially you're seasoning them, you're browning them in the pan, getting them brown on all the sides, taking them out, and then in the drippings and whatever's left over from browning the meat, you start adding your vegetables, your onion, your celery, your carrots, your garlic. Let all that start, all that start cooking down. You can add a little bit of liquid, whether it's red wine, a little bit of tomato sauce or tomato paste. You can add stock, which we make from the bones. You could buy that here with the protein. I mean, really get that sauce going. Once that sauce starts to simmer, you can add your meat back to it. Make sure it's at least two-thirds of the way covered. Cover it, pop it in the oven, or put it on low on the stovetop, and just let it ride until it's done. So that's and a beef stew. That's a beef stew, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, tremendous. Okay, I have a little confession. I'm a vegetarian, but my mouth is watering <laughs> when you describe adding the onions and the carrots yeah. and the dripping. Well, each, each layer is going to add a little bit more flavor, a little bit more depth, and just really help highlight the quality protein. Wow. How did you learn all of this? 
a lot of it from family and a lot of it just from doing and reading and doing and watching and asking questions. And I was, before we opened, I was able to go out to the West Coast and tour a bunch of butcher shops and restaurants that were farm to table or at least farm to table to a certain degree and interview them and really ask them anything that they were willing to answer and just try to learn as much about this as I could before jumping off the deep end. Deep end. <laughs> Very cool. So you've got your pig farm, you got your meat vending machine. Is there anything else you're looking forward to? It sounds like you got a lot going on. I, I definitely do. I look forward to maintaining everything that we've built. I look forward to slowly growing it in the future. I look forward to building something that I can pass down to my kids. I look forward to having employees with multiple years or decades of tenure. I look forward to just continuing to be a part of this great city's growth. And there's just so much to look forward to. There sure is. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Yeah, well, thank you so much for wanting to include us on this and come back around and revisit with us and seeing what's going on. I appreciate that. Andrew Tambuzo is the founder and owner of the Boozy Pig Butchery and Kitchen in Tampa. He first appeared on the Zest back in 2019 when he gave us a tour of Boozy Pig. You can find that conversation on our website, thezestpodcast.com. Meet us back here next week for our season eight finale. We'll bring you a conversation with Kevin Kokomore. He's the author of La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. In the book, Kokomore argues that barbecue, more pig talk, and the Thanksgiving holiday originated here in Florida. The episode drops on, what else? Thanksgiving Day. I'm Zalia Colon. I produce Zest with Andrew Lucas. Our social media and web guru is Alexandria Ebron. Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media. Copyright 2023. Part of the NPR Network.